All right, we are recording. I've never recorded in that actual Bible study before. Okay. Um, Lola, go away. <laughs> Not any of you don't put it, it, <laughs> put it under my Bible. Duh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to week two. Um, did you guys enjoy chapter two? Those of you who read it. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go over the entire thing today. So if you didn't read it, it's really no big deal. But review from last week. What do you guys remember from last week? And like what really stuck out to you from last week? Except for Delaney. Listen up, Delaney. You're going to learn a lot. I think like what you said like stuck out to me a lot it was like this is one of the first like books of the bible that starts out like focusing on like strong like female mm. leaders in the community yeah i think like that's really cool and just like thinking about the midwife like midwives and their role yeah how the midwives were the first people pointed out in the story of exodus mm-hmm. yeah i like that part what else do you guys remember or what stuck out to you uh, I remember us, like, learning about how the Israelites kind of feared God in that moment more than mm. the Egyptians, and how they would rather follow God's laws than the Egyptians' laws. Yeah. Even though, like, they're kind of being forced to do it, they still like, no, like, we need to do what God says. Mm. Yeah, they definitely had a fear of God over fear of man, mm. which is hard to do. Yeah, anything else? You guys remember? I think it was cool to see how um, uh, even like in the middle of the trouble, um, like the Lord was so faithful at the end mm. to like multiply them and grow them. Yeah, like no matter the persecution that they were under, yeah. the Lord still allowed them to grow. Yeah, they I mean, based on their faithfulness too. Yeah. Them, yeah. Yeah, and then there's like two million of them. Which still makes me laugh thinking of, like, two midwives trying to care for <laughs> two million people. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so just a broad overview of what happened last week. We are introduced to the Egyptians, who are a very um, racist and very harsh people group that hate anyone that is a threat to them. So they hate the Israelites or the Hebrews because they're growing in numbers, so they see them as a threat. So for years and years and years, they put them in slavery, and they make their lives very bitter, very hard. Um, and eventually they say that all um, boys born in the Hebrew like people group must be put to death. And they tell the midwives, who are the ones that like delivered the babies, hey, kill the baby boys. They say, we fear God, not Pharaoh. So they didn't, and God's people grew. And then the chapter ended with Pharaoh decreeing that any baby boy born of a Hebrew must be thrown into the Nile. So he kind of like takes matters into his own hands and he's like, fine, if the midwives don't do it, I'll do it myself and all the babies are going in the river. Um, so it's this like terrible ending to the story. Um, but today we're going to see that God turns evil upside down, which is kind of like the name of our lesson is that God turns evil upside down. We're going to see that what uh, Pharaoh meant for evil is what God is going to use for good. So even though Pharaoh wanted to destroy this people group, God would not allow that to happen. And he preserved Moses, who we're going to learn about today, and see his life today. We're going to see how God uses his life to prepare um, the people to exit out of Egypt. So um, let's see. Um, so today we're doing chapter two, and we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, well, 
Maybe we should. I don't know. Would it be helpful if we read through the whole thing real fast since it's kind of short? Okay, we'll do that. We'll read through it. Um, so it is 25 verses. <coughs> so let's do Delaney, could you read 1 through 5? And then Maddie, 5 through 10. 6 through 10. Uh, Brooke, 11 through 15. Caitlin, 16 through 20. And then Elise, till the end. Okay. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a purpose basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking around, walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. Alright, just stops in mid sentence. <laughs> um, I can go one more. No, I can. Okay. I don't care. What do you want me to Go for it. Okay. Um, she saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child, and there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, This is one of the Hebrew boys. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Should I go and call, <clears throat> and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? go pharaoh's daughter pharaoh's daughter told her so the girl went and called the boy's mother then pharaoh's daughter said to her take this child and nurse him for me and i will pay your wages so the woman took the boy and nursed him when the child grew older she brought him to pharaoh's daughter and he became her son she named him moses because she said i drew him out of the water years later after moses had grown up he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, What, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water uh, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule, their father asked, to rule their father, he asked them, why, are you, why have you returned so early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from shepherd. He, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zephorah his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son, <coughs> and he called his name Gersom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of the time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. Because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. 
So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Awesome. Thank you guys for reading. Um, so we see right off the bat that Moses is born to Levites. And basically, anyone in the tribe of Levi was most likely a follower of God. So they were God-fearing people. So Moses was born to parents that feared God more than they feared Pharaoh and therefore didn't want to kill Moses because he was a baby boy, but fought to keep him in secret. Um, so as I like think of like keeping a newborn in secret... I was just like, that would be so hard. So I thought of you, Caitlin, because yeah. you would know better than any of us. Like, what would it be like to try to keep a newborn in secret? It's so, so unbelievably hard. Yeah. Because they're constantly crying. That's their way of communication. Mm. With, like, anything they need. Like, food. Uh, they're tired. <laughs> literally anything. Yeah. Like, it's like, that's all they do, yeah. is they just cry. And so it would be so hard to keep them, like, secret and hidden. And then you know as soon as they're found by an Egyptian, they're going to be killed. So it adds this, like, level of stress and fear on top of it. Um, so she hides, her, hides Moses for three months. Um, and then what she can't hide him anymore, she's kind of brought to her only option, which is to put him in the Nile. But she doesn't just throw Moses into the Nile. She does everything in her power to keep her baby alive. Um, which is what any mother would do, right? Like, you would do anything to keep your baby alive. Um, so what do you guys think the the pitch and the... My translation says... Butman? Yours says tar, right? Mm-hmm. Tar and pitch. We'll just say that. Tar and pitch. What did it do for the basket? Why was that, like, an important addition? Yeah. Yeah, to waterproof it. So she's, like, trying to protect her baby waterproof the basket, put the basket in the Nile, and then just trust God, <laughs> like, as her baby floats down um, the Nile. Um, so this is kind of like an act of just trust, like, God, I did everything in my power to keep this baby. I did everything you told me to do, and now I'm trusting that you are going to handle this baby. You're going to protect it. Um, and then I guess this is also a question for Caitlin, but, like, how hard would that be to be the mom? I can imagine, like, the only thing I can, like, think of that, like, puts it in, like, perspective is, like, giving up your baby for, like, you have, like, mm. a three-month-old baby that you've already, like, connected to, and you're giving it up for, like, adoption or something. Yeah. And I could not imagine, like, just being, like, okay, God, I trust you. Like, I, I trust she's going to a better family. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And it's not even, like, the mom didn't even know that it was going to a family. Right. She was just putting her baby in a river and, like, hoping for the best. Um, but what do we see, like, what does Moses' sister do? the basket yeah she follows the basket um so like in all the movies you like see like the like the sister like going through the reeds and like looking for Moses um (coughs) that's like what I picture in my mind and then I just I'm sure there was like so much pain and grief in the mother's heart trying to comprehend like what is going on and trying to trust the Lord with it um so this is where we see a little glimmer of God's sovereignty in this story um, that God was sovereign over the basket of Moses going to the right place. Um, so what is God's sovereignty? How would you explain the so- like when someone says, God is sovereign, what does that mean? Kind of a big word. It's also okay if you don't know. 
um, it's basically a fancy word that says like the lordship of God. Um, so like saying God is king, um, saying God is sovereign means, means like three main things, um, which is God is in control of every single thing in his creation down to like the tiniest little detail God is aware of and in control of and his hand is upon. So like he knows like how many blades of grass there are. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows the names of every single person that's ever lived. He knows the sand on the beach. He knows everything. Um, there's nothing that is outside his realm of knowledge. And then, so that's number one. God is in control of all things. God has ultimate authority in all things. So nothing passes by God without him allowing it to happen. Nothing like slips past him. Um, it's not like he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Not like he, not like evil ever comes from the hands of God, but he, nothing ever happens outside his knowledge. So God has ultimate authority. And then God is also present with us. Um, so he's in control about even the minute, tiniest details of life. He has ultimate authority and he's always present. And that's kind of like the sovereignty of God. And it's even bigger than that. It has more implications, but in like simplest terms, that's what it means. Um, so where do you guys see the sovereignty of God in this chapter? Or in the first part of the chapter, I should say. Where do you see God's sovereignty? I think like for specifically this chapter, probably just the specific situations he had like kind of happen throughout it. Like how he had the like basket being placed somewhere that like the Pharaoh's daughter was actually going to come. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like a servant. It was like the Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah. And like all of, and like the Pharaoh's daughter like actually wanted to keep the baby. Like just a bunch of mm. things that would seem like coincidences, but in reality, like it's just God's sovereignty. Huh. Yeah. Like out of all the, out of all the people, in Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter is the one that picked up the baby. Yeah, and like she was the one that like had compassion on him, which is weird because she's the Pharaoh's daughter, and the Pharaoh's yeah daughter, like told everyone to kill the babies. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's like the person that is least likely to have compassion on a Hebrew baby has is the com- one that yeah. has compassion. That has compassion. Yeah, and that has to be the Lord mm-hmm. because. That's another thing about the sovereignty of God. You don't have to know God for God to use you because he's sovereign over everyone. So he's like sovereign over our emotions. He's sovereign over what we like, what we go through, where we are, the things that happen during our day. So like he used, he worked compassion through the heart of Pharaoh's daughter towards little baby Moses so that she would see him and that she would take him for under her care. Um, so yeah, that just like blows my mind that out of all the people that could have found Moses, it was the evil guy's daughter who, who takes the one who's going to save the people and takes and rescues him. I'm like, what? God is so awesome to do that. Um, so yeah, what, what emotion does she feel towards Moses? Elise already said it, but what emotion comes out of her? Yeah, she has pity on him. So that shows that, like, the Egyptians, they did a lot of evil things, but they were still human. They still had some sort of emotion. God was still working in them. They had He hadn't completely, like, done away with them. Um, so, yeah, he felt compassion, and God uses that compassion for a greater good. <clears throat> um, so, like, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that this is a characteristic of God, how does this help us in our life? How does this change the way that we live? knowing that God is sovereign over all things. I think it, 
like shows that you read in like the darkest of those evil situations, hmm. like something good can come out of it. Like I'm sure at that time, like the Israelites were thinking, like this is like the worst you can get. Like hmm. the Egyptians are like really bad, but now they're killing our babies. Yeah. So they were like, this is awful. Like it's it's not gonna go up from here. But from that, they actually like like a rescuer was like taken from <coughs> that really dark situation, <coughs> and through that like they were given like hope not through like the actual like terrible situation but just like it came through mm. like it didn't yeah. stop it didn't stop like the hope to like come through so maybe not so much like the bad thing helped it happen but more so the bad thing didn't stop it from happening yeah i guess it's yeah kinda, yeah no evil can get in the way of god's plan right and god often uses evil for good so god used pharaoh's daughter to save the remnant save the one that Jesus that God not Jesus God was gonna use (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. so like in the evil in our lives we can trust that like that won't stop God from being God yeah so it gives us like a bigger purpose um we can trust that God truly does work all things for his glory um and we we know no matter what happens God is in control um, which is so hard to believe when, like, you're in the middle of, like, a really tough trial to be like, oh, this will be good one day, or, like, God will use this for good. But he does, and it's not always, like, we're not always going to feel it in the moment. And he doesn't always work things for good so that we'll feel good. He works things for good for his glory, which is our greater good, but we don't always, like, feel, like, dandy happy in the moment. Um, so then we see another awesome thing about God and the way that he works in trials um, we see that he has a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. Um, so where do you guys see the grace of God in the first part of this chapter? It's kind of like another like coincidence that happens that shows that God is really gracious. Did it, um, Pharaoh's daughter... His, Moses' sister, because she's in mm-hmm. the right? Didn't she take him back? Yes, kind of. To, it wasn't Moses' mother, was it? Yeah, it was Moses' mother. Yeah. So, so, like, she followed him down until Pharaoh's daughter saw him. And then right. she's like, want me to grab somebody that's nursing? Right. So, <laughs> right. so I guess, like, in that way, like, that means, I, I'm mm-hmm. assuming it was hard Moses' mother to let go. Mm. So, like, in that way, like, he was gracious in, like, bringing Moses back to her. Mm. Yeah. But then she had to give him back up again. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> which, but like, at least she got to, like, know his fate. Like, yeah. she got yeah. to know that he was okay. Yeah. Which is, like, better than not knowing. Yeah. That's like, because she originally, like, wasn't going to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. She, yeah. Yeah, and she got to, like, nurse she him. Spent, well, she spent a few years with him, mm-hmm. didn't she? Yeah, she... The caretaking period, I think, was up until, like, he was, like, 10 or 11. So he spent a lot of time with his actual mom, which is amazing. So, like, she had to give him back up. He eventually, like, leaves Egypt. But for those few years, she was able to spend with him. And for that, that's, like, an act of grace. Um, Which is also just, like, a crazy thing of God to, like, allow that to happen. Um, God didn't have to let that happen, but he kind of had grace on the mother and allowed that to happen um so yeah and then moses is adopted and becomes part of the royal family which what that's crazy so this hebrew boy is now part of 
the Egyptian family, the Egyptian royal family, when the Egyptian royal family hates the Hebrews. So it's like, what is going on? But I'm imagining the daughter of Pharaoh had a lot to do with it, where she just loved this baby boy, and a lot of compromises were made. Um, So then in verse 11, we see that Moses is grown up. And so the text, when it says grown up, he was probably around 40 years old. Um, So that's crazy between verses 10 and 11. There's 40 years in between there. So Moses is grown up, and he went out, and he looked out to his people, and he saw their burdens. So this shows us that Moses knew that he was not an Egyptian. He probably looked very different than the Egyptians, but he knew. Um, His mom probably told him. He probably figured it out. Probably everyone knew. (laughs) He's like, don't "Don't worry, Dad, I know. (laughs) Um, But what's Moses' heart towards his people? What does he see? He sees the injustice. He doesn't see what the Egyptians see. He doesn't see them as a threat. He sees it as evil. Yeah. So he has this heart towards his people where he's burdened for them. And he he probably hates what the Egyptians are doing to them. Um, and then we see that in what he does when he sees an Egyptian beating um, an Israelite. Um, and he kills him. And the interesting part is that he, he goes out and he kills him. And I don't... I don't think he had to kill him. I think there's a way to stop the beating without him having to kill him. But he does kill him, and then he looks right to left, and he sees nobody, and he bears him in the sand, so he thinks he's out clear. But obviously he's not. Um, And then he runs into someone who is a Hebrew, and he says, like, why are you, like, striking your companion? Because he's, like, beating up probably another Israelite. Um, And what's the response of that Hebrew person? What do they say to Moses? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who are you to judge us when you literally killed a man yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who are you to, like, tell me what to do when you just did this? And also, they knew that Moses was an Israelite who was living with the Egyptians. So, what do you think the Hebrew people felt towards Moses? Presentment. Yeah. They're like, how did he get saved? Yeah. Yeah. And probably, like, Upset, like, at the fact that, like, you're not doing anything to, like, stop it hmm. until, like, this moment. Yeah. When he just murders them. But, yeah. Like, before that, like, he's, like, I guess it's, like, he's just standing there and, like, watching them. And yeah. it's, like, I wonder how many days, like, he did that. Hmm. So they probably, like, yeah. didn't understand that, like, he was watching them thinking about the injustice. But, like, to them, it might have just been, oh, I don't have to do that. And you guys do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which it is interesting, like, I wonder how much power Moses did have in when he was living with the Egyptians to stop it. But, yeah, definitely a lot of resentment. So that shows that, like, not all, like, the Israelites are these, like, peaceful, we love God and we fear the Lord. Like, they're not, all, not all of them are like that. A lot of them don't actually know the Lord. And we'll see that more as we get to know them better. A lot of them um, will forget all about God very quickly. Um, they're a lot like us in that way, where we just very quickly forget the Lord and do our own thing. Um, but the the Israelites don't trust Moses at all, which is going to be interesting because Moses is going to be their leader eventually. They don't trust Moses. Um, they're kind of snarky, and they have a lot of bitterness. 
Um, so not all of them. Some of them still fear the Lord. Some of them um, probably have softer hearts, but a lot of them, like like this guy, have very hard hearts. Um, so what does this do for Moses? What what does this stir inside of him? After all that happens. He's like paranoid. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, people are going to know what I did. Yeah. So then probably guilt, shame, paranoia. He just got out of there. And eventually Pharaoh does find out and Pharaoh wants to kill him. So Moses runs far away to Midian and spends time there and gets married. And then we never really hear about his wife again. So I'm always like curious, like, was Moses' wife like there during the Exodus? Did he, did she, was she like with him all the time? I have no idea <coughs> if anyone has any idea. Let me know, because I don't know what happened to Moses' wife. Um, but, oh, let me find my place in my notes. Oh, I skipped over this part. But throughout the Old Testament, I talked about this a little bit last week. Throughout the Old Testament, every single page is pointing to the gospel, and every single story is pointing to Jesus. So Moses, even though he doesn't know it, is a picture of who Jesus is. So there's a lot of similarities between like Jesus and Moses because Moses is just a picture of who Jesus is going to be. So what are some similarities that you guys see already between the character of Moses and his life and Jesus? He actually recognizes um, oppressed people. Mm. He doesn't like like they they both know like that like Jesus being who is the Messiah and yeah. like Moses knows that like. Like a big, the big deal, I guess you could mm. say. But they don't boast about it. Yeah. They're very, like, they keep, they, like, they're humble and they're lowly and... Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have similar hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moses is not, like, perfect by any means, but he definitely reflects parts of God's heart and Jesus' heart, yeah. which is very clear. Yeah. What else do you guys see that's similar in, the, in Jesus and Moses? I don't know if this is really, like, an answer or a good answer, uh-huh. but, um, like, when they killed Jesus, they had king of the Jews above him, and mm. Moses was actually, like, royalty. Yeah, him. yeah, no, that's definitely it. They were both, like, born royalty, or, like, or, like, I don't know, kind of seen as royalty at some point. Yeah. Yeah, and both were born to <clears throat> be saviors. Jesus was born a savior, and Moses was born a savior. Yeah, any other thoughts? How are the two similar? Well, it says that he was a shepherd for his father-in-law's flock, and Jesus kind of like, yeah. calls himself a shepherd, and that kind of like, is constantly like, referred back to like, yeah. oh, metaphorically, shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> a shepherd. Yeah. But, Everyone's know. a shepherd. Everyone's a shepherd. We should be shepherds. <laughs> Yeah, that's a so that's a good one. Sheep. Goats are the best. Painting goats. Mm-hmm. My best friend in high school had goats, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. I got to go sit for Yes. So fun. Yeah. Um another similarity uh, between Moses and Jesus is that Moses was rescued from death as a baby, and so was Jesus. So someone was out to kill Jesus. Herod was out to kill Jesus, but he is saved. He's like, he comes actually out of Egypt, which is really crazy. Like, Jesus comes out of Egypt, just like Moses comes out of Egypt. Um, And then also there's, like, 
silent years before Jesus's ministry. So like for 30 years, there's like no recording of Jesus between the time that he is born and the time he starts his ministry. And then we see that here in the story of Moses where there's nothing happening but between the time that he is a baby and the time that he's 40. Like we're like, what happened? Who knows? There's so much. It's like watching the beginning and end of the movie. Yeah. You just don't get the middle. You don't get the middle. Yeah. You're like, what happened? What was the childhood like? I don't know. <laughs> <It's a teenager. laughs> so that's, I just like am so amazed by that, that even like something so small, like Moses was a shepherd or that Moses was royalty, like those tiny things point to a greater picture and they point to Jesus. Um, so keep your eyes peeled as you read through the book of Exodus. There's going to be so much overlap between the gossip, the gossip, the gospel and Jesus. And that's like blows my mind every time I see it because it shows that God is so intentional um, in all that he does. Um, so yeah, Moses kills someone, runs away, gets married, um, and he doesn't really mention Egypt. So Moses has kind of escaped um, thinking about the the stuff that's going on in Egypt, he probably hasn't forgotten because how do you forget that? But it's not on the forefront of his mind. So for Moses, he um, he's left, so out of sight, out of mind, um, and he doesn't probably have Egypt a whole lot on his mind. He's just glad that he got out of the situation. But then we see something about the Lord's heart, um, which is so cool. I'm gonna read reread those um, <coughs> verses again. Um, starting in verse 23. During those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I love especially verse 24 and 25. Um, and we're going to walk through just exactly what like that means. Um, so last week I asked you guys the question of God remembers, God knows all things. He never forgets anything. But verse 24 tells us that God remembered his covenant with these people. So he remembered the promise he made to them that he would um, bring them into the promised land, that he would make their descendants multiply. Um, So if God never forgets, why did he need to remember? Why does the text say that he remembered? What are your guys' thoughts on just that question? I feel like it's just like a weird linguistic thing yeah. that's like changed. Whereas like when I read it, I think of like it's not that he's remembering like he forgot it. Hmm. He's just like it's like an active thought rather than like a passive thought. Yeah. Like it comes like the forefront of like yeah. his mm. brain. Yeah. If God has brain. Yeah. Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's a weird yeah. thought. Like, how does yeah. God think? Yeah, I like that. Like, it's not in the back, or, like, not, that doesn't even do it justice, because you know that you're never in the back of God's mind, but it's, like, more of, like, an action. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts? Why did God need to remember? Well, obviously God, like Kayla said, God doesn't forget, and God might not even have a brain. Like, we don't really know how all that works. Um, but when I was studying this, I, just like Kayla said, I, it's, it's hard to put words to how God works sometimes, right? Like, when you think of the Trinity, when you think of, like, 
the sovereignty of God or like eternity or how God has always been. Those concepts are so hard to wrap our minds around because God is impossible to wrap our minds around. He's so much far beyond us. Um, but the best way that made sense for me to remember, to, to think about how God remembers is that like, if God was cooking, <laughs> you got the back burners, you got the front burners and everything is simmering, right? He's paying attention to all of it. But then like he brings to, to the front burner, one of the pots and he actively begins working on that like that pot and so like the covenant has always been there the promise god made with his people has always been there it's always been simmering but now god's like okay time to go to action time to act out this covenant i am going to bring these people out of egypt i'm going to fulfill my promise to them i've always told them i was going to but now is the time um so when the text said god remembered that's just like the best word to put to words <laughs> something that is way beyond us um does that make sense so did you, did you get the idea why you were cooking uh no i got it from the commentary they oh. use the back burner yeah so, yeah um but yeah so super cool thing about god that i think um is like just so interesting to think about um but then it also just explains the um the intimacy that god had with the people Um, And just how aware he was of their suffering. So God heard their groaning. So he hears and acknowledges the pain that they're going through. There's not a single cry that he doesn't hear. There's not a single um, tear that drops that he doesn't know of. He is deeply aware of the agony they're going through. Um, And then he saw the people of Israel. So he saw everything that happened to them. Every injustice, every every murder, every... Um, mean thing that was said to them, everything, every mean thing that was done to them, he saw it all, and he was keeping track of it all, and he knew everything. There's nothing that slipped out of his, um, out of his mind, out of his eyes. Um, so Psalm thirty four fifteen. I should have marked this, but I'll flip to it real fast, and you guys can just write it down in your notebooks or something. Psalm thirty four, fifteen, kind of puts this to words, and emphasizes this attribute of God. But it says, uh, oh, I was like, that's not what I wanted. Uh, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Um, So this is like a characteristic of God. He sees... He sees and he hears um, when we are when we're going through suffering, when anyone else is going through suffering. Anytime there's an injustice in our world, he is deeply aware that's going on, um, which is why it says the very last part that God knew. And this word knew in the Hebrew translation, the specific word is a very like intimate know. Like he knows like the depths, like he there's not anything that he doesn't know. It's just a very like intense word for this word. And again, like the English language doesn't do it justice. But he was so aware of the pain they were enduring, it's almost like he felt it himself. Um, So yeah, and then he also remembered. So knowing this about God, how does this change the way that you see your own suffering? That God hears, he sees, and he knows. I don't think it like takes the suffering away by any means, and we should like expect it to. But I think it does make it a lot more comforting to know that God has a plan hmm. like through it. Yeah. And that he also feels it with us. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like 
oh god here's my cries perfect yeah i feel so much better (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's like having a friend who will just sit with you when you're crying like just the comfort of that yeah how else does it just help you view suffering I think of like the people in this story they have no idea what's ahead for them they don't know that 40 years from that point they were going to be in the promised land um, and just how God truly does have a different plan for us that we have no idea um, and they didn't know probably the extent to how closely God heard their groaning he, they didn't know that he saw everything I mean they probably they knew but they didn't like truly understand and then God like knew them too and so I think for us we ha- we can't even understand how close God is to us sometimes but we can trust that he's close um, and so I think verses like this can help us understand who God is in our suffering and our trials and trust that he is truly there even when it feels like he's not um, so yeah that is all I have for like the teaching part Um, Do you guys have any questions over, like, chapter 2 or things that confused you or stood out to you before we dive into some application questions? We're all scholars. (laughs) (laughs) We know everything about chapter 2. Um, all right, so I just have a few questions for us as we wrap up tonight. Um, so we saw a lot of the sovereignty of God in this chapter, and we'll continue to see it throughout the story of Exodus. Um, but how does the sovereignty of God encourage you specifically in your life, like right now? How does he encourage you? I think for me, just knowing that, like, no matter what happens in life, no matter what I'm going through, like, I know it's like a cheesy like Christian type of thing to say, mm-hmm. but um, like God really does like know what He's doing. Yeah. And like it's really it really is out of my control. There really is nothing I can do mm-hmm. about like what's gonna happen. Yeah. So. Good luck. And even if I do mess up, like He knew I was gonna mess up. Hmm. Very like a Christian like answer, but no, it's not. I mean, it's that's just so. <laughs> it's the truth yeah. it's not christianese it's just there's, there's true yeah 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 no that is so true and it's, it's so interesting because like moses messed up right he killed somebody but like god is still going to use him and so we know like when we mess up we should always like repent but we know that's not the end for us right yeah i feel like it was interesting like going off that like when it Moses said, like, what I did must have become known, because, like, he's worried about, like, everyone finding out what he did, yeah. knowing, but, like, the most important person already knows, huh. and so, like, I just feel like that's, like, an emphasis of, like, our day-to-day lives, like, we worry about what other people think, or, mm-hmm. like, not letting people know certain parts of us when, like, the most important person already knows already those knows. things, so, like, why are we so quick to, like feel shame Mm. and like 
we're not feeling as much shame right. when it comes to God. Yeah, because God should. Really knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so good. Yeah, because, like, yeah, God knows all things. He sees all things. There's nowhere we can go from his presence. That's so good. I think that also shows that Moses still had a lot of growth to do. Because mm-hmm. before he became, like, the leader of two million people, like, he yeah. still had a lot of growth to, to go through <laughs> to understand that it's not about what other people see, it's about what God sees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how else does the sovereignty of God encourage you specifically? I just think, like, for me, like, all the unknowns in life of, like, like, I, I'm i very scared of, like, like, Luke dying and just, like, if I will, like, just, like, that, like, is very fearful for me. And so I'm, like, okay, even if, like, one day, like, that happens, God is sovereign and he will supply me the strength that I need and he will, like, you know, he will provide and he will guide and I can trust that he will be sovereign, as sovereign as he is today. He'll be sovereign on that day, if it does happen. And so, like, that gives me a lot of hope and encouragement, knowing that whatever suffering's in the future, whether it's small suffering, big suffering, whatever it is, God is sovereign. Um, so, kind of like what I said when Kayla, after Kayla said her point about Moses... Um, God is preparing Moses for ministry still, so he's got a lot of growth to do. Um, and we'll see more and more of that coming up too, especially next chapter. We'll just see like Moses come face to face with God and just be like wrecked, which is like a good thing to come face to face with God and be wrecked. Um, so how do you think God is preparing you right now for ministry? And when I say ministry, I don't mean like working full time for a church. <laughs> like I mean just like day to day spreading the gospel doing what the Lord has called you to do. How is God preparing you, and how has he prepared you to do that? I think for me personally, just like remind, he's just like reminding me that like even though I didn't grow up in a church, hmm. even though like my family dynamic is different than most of the people I know, I like he's still going to use it. Mm-hmm. That way. Yeah. So it's just like a constant reminder of that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I can get discouraged. Because like if I hear people talking about like, oh, when I was little or I've known this for this many years, I just yeah. sit there and like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's like feeling bad about things that are like, if you but weren't like, raised in a church, then of course like. That are, yeah. yeah. Sometimes like people are kind of like, oh, that's common knowledge. And I'm like, well. Yeah. Huh. Not for me. It's not common knowledge. People should be more gracious. But, um, yeah, I don't know. So I think just, like, the constant reminders of, like, you, you like, my story is going to be used. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. I think I, like, relate to, relate to that a lot, too. Because, like, I didn't grow up with the church, so I always felt, like, behind. And I was, like, talking to one of my friends today who's, like, not a Christian or anything, but I was, like, talking to her about that and saying how, like, I get, like, self-conscious about going, like, stuff like this, whatever, like, mm. just talking about, like, even stories like this that I feel like are common knowledge, like, yeah. I, like, don't really know, or, like, I was, like, I just, like, I'm behind, she's, like, well, like, if you're a Christian, like, based on, like, what you say about 
God's like, you're not behind in God's mm-hmm. eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, no Christian is like behind or whatever. Like, it doesn't yeah. work like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're not a Christian, and you can't <laughs> like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even understand that. God's like, sovereignty. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And never, ever feel bad for what you don't know. Because as long as you know the gospel, you know enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you believe that he is God, like, mm-hmm. you should always be wanting to know more. But, like, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's enough. That can keep you going for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you feel like you've learned everything... Then you need a heart recheck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. It's in, infinite. And that's another thing. Like, you have your whole life to learn. Yeah. And so, like, just have, like, so much grace with yourself. Because, like, it's, like, forever. Yeah. Until you, the day you die, you're going to have time to learn. And then in heaven, we're going to learn even more about God. Yeah. And it's also, like, on the flip side, it's encouraging to hear from people, like, who are, like, five are so years older than me hmm. that came to know Christ when they were my age, like around the same time I came to know. It's yeah. like I came to know Christ when I was 18, 19. So it's encouraging for me when people are like five or so years older than me to hear like that they also became a Christian hmm. and then they're like late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like to see them now and like how wise they are now, hmm. it's like encouraging to say like, oh, okay, like I can get to that point. Hmm. Even though I shouldn't be comparing. It's more hope. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just so encouraging to know, like, okay, like, I can get there. Hmm. Yeah. Even if I didn't grow up in the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jesus himself said it. He's like, it doesn't matter if you're from a certain family or a certain, like, bloodline. Mm-hmm. It just matters if, like, you know him. Hmm. Yeah, and I think also we forget how much, like, growth the Lord, def- like, has done. Mm-hmm. Like, I've known you, Maddie, for, like, two years maybe more three about two probably and I feel like the person that I met when I met you like you're totally different now you know so much more about the Lord and you're like not like it was like you were in a bad place when I met you but like it's just like the Lord has been so faithful to grow you and show you more of himself like little bits at a time but you're like you're definitely just like a faithful follower of the Lord and I see that more clearly today than I ever have and so, like, never and discount. Yeah. Not with the girls that would get buried in my house. We'd all be sobbing. Like, no! <laughs> but, yeah, I think that, like, we, sometimes we can be like, oh, I don't know what God's sovereignty means. Oh, no, I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> like, no. <it's laughs> think of, like, all the ways that, like, God has shown you. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Elise? Oh, sorry. I was just itching my ear. I can say something, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say, no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, going off of, like, what you were saying, like, about how sometimes, like, you may feel guilty for it, but, I mean, I think, like what Riley said, like, uh, God really has, like, a bunch of grace for all his children, even the children who have been in the church their whole life, hmm. which sometimes, like, people who have, like, grown up in the church their whole life don't even really have, like, are able to develop, like, a deep relationship with God because they just already kind of defined it from the time, like, when they were, like, little. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's just different opportunities to like, get deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of, like, the Pharisees. Yeah. They, like, grew up, like, in the scripture. They knew, They memorized it. They thought they knew it all. <coughs> 
and they thought they knew God, but they didn't. They were whitewashed tombs. They looked nice on the outside, but they were empty on the inside. I think that the church can kind of be like that sometimes. It's tough to like grow up in the church and to think that you have it all together, but actually have no idea who God is. Mm-hmm. It's better to find God <laughs> and then figure out more about God. Yeah, and it seems like the most lowly people like around Jesus seem to be the ones that were like the most like drawn to him. Yes, yeah. Like. Like, not, not, like, literally the opposites of the Pharisees. Like, I think about, like, the people who the Pharisees would look at and be like, you're a sinner. Like, we don't like you. And she's just like, no, I forgive them, and I love them. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely is, like, a trend, which yeah. is cool. We see a lot of the heart of Jesus in that. Mm-hmm. Um, good discussion, guys. Um, so my last question. Lots of questions tonight. Um, so this whole story, Exodus 2 and all of Exodus and all the Bible is God turning evil upside down. So where in your life have you seen and witnessed God turn evil upside down? I think for me, probably just like sin in general. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just like fighting sin and like being tempted by sin and then like that's literally just the enemy like literally like throwing a sledgehammer like at your door yeah and i think just like in that moment like going to the lord and like the lord just like Mm. you know you know what i mean you know what i'm trying to say Mm. yeah but i think for me that's probably been the biggest Mm. way i've seen it yeah like seeing the Lord help you through temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How else have you guys seen God turn evil upside down in your life? I would say like, um, kind of, not a good way to say it, but like my family situation growing mm-hmm. up. Like, I've, I'm a child of divorce, so, like, my parents were divorced. They were both addicts. My All my family are addicts. Mm-hmm. But somehow, some way, God turned all that. Mm-hmm. And if if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. So, it's mm-hmm. just crazy to think how something so evil, such as all that, mm-hmm. can just be flipped with snap of the yeah. fingers. Mm-hmm. And how God's it's like, really cool. that's not a problem to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how that he cares that much that little mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wow, what a testimony to like the Lord's like Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. The things that seem big in our eyes that seem really evil and dark, even though they are evil and dark in God's eyes, they like like yeah, I can I can bring good out of that. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, going off of that, like, let's see, like, a little over this time last year, so, like, maybe a year and a couple months ago, I was in a super dark place, and awful place in my life, and then, like, switch, found out I was pregnant, and it was just such a reality check, and I can honestly say I've never been like um or felt closer to the Lord than I do now and that was because of that Mm. yeah Mm. even the contrast of like living 
in like a dark place and then living in the light mm. it's like an evidence that god turns uses evil for good because it's even like wow god is so good for bringing me into the light that you never want to go back that's awesome yeah that's that's the god that we serve and the god that we love and the god that loves us is one who looks at evil and not only died for us so that we don't have to live in darkness but says i'm gonna conquer that that is no problem to me i'm gonna defeat that i'm gonna smash the snake um i'm gonna smash his head and um that's a reference to the picture. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. Sorry, that's a reference. A reference to Genesis one, to Genesis three, the fall when the serpent's like, "I'm gonna tempt you," and then Jesus is like, "No," or God is like, "I keep, I need to." Well, they're all the same person. person. Yeah. They're all the same person. But anyway, just the words that you used, like not only, not mm. only did he die for us. That's yeah. just mind blowing. That yeah. he literally cares so much that he doesn't want us to live terribly yeah so he gives us his provision his wisdom so mm-hmm. that we can live a godly life yeah because he knows us the right way mm. like he so could have just he could have just yeah could died for died us and then just sent his <laughs> like, he, did, he didn't yeah. have to send his holy spirit mm. he doesn't have to be with us all the time but he chooses to yeah so good so good and when you think about it like that mm-hmm. it makes it it makes your life so much more joyful yeah to be like I don't deserve any of this, not anything. And it's so much better. Mm, so good. Wow, you guys are just full of wisdom and encouragement. I love it. Um, so yeah, that is chapter two. Chapter two is awesome. Chapter three is even better, dare I say. Um, so next week, read chapter three, if you remember. And the focus question is, how does this passage grow your understanding of the fear of God? Because um, you're literally going to see Moses come face to face with God who reveals himself in a bush. So the bush is on fire. It's like, oh, holy bush. And then Moses is like terrified, petrified. So like that's actually the fear of God, like literal fear of God. So how does reading this passage, how does it help you form your understanding of what it means to fear God? So, yeah. Cool, cool. I'll stop the recording. Everyone say bye to the people. Bye. Bye. Bye.